We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. We are... um... We're at a great little point here in our new series. It's not brand new anymore. We're we're actually at the third session of our justice theme. And um, Joe McSharry gave us a fantastic introduction and explained that we'll be using different lenses to think about justice each week, allowing the light of the kingdom of heaven to shed new light on each area of justice as we touch on that. And then we had an amazing talk by Jimmy, who's at the back at the moment, and um, he gave an excellent session focused on how we are made in the image of God. And uh, I love that Joe's song picked up on that this morning as well. And uh, and, uh, the definitive statement that I took away from Jimmy's talk was this, that justice is about people. You know, that is the heart of justice, not a concept out there. It's about you and me. It's about them and us. It's about the people around us. So we're going to dig into what has God said about justice? And we have to ask this question when we ask that about justice. What is heaven like? What does it look like to establish heaven on earth? So to refresh our minds, we are going to look at a couple of biblical definitions. We've got a couple of slides. Is that TV on as well so I can see them as well or not? Could somebody get that on then I can... uh... Not be craning my neck. That would be great. Great. So we've got a couple of definitions and um, a couple of components. So firstly, we, I'm just picking up on that Hebrew word that um, Joe brought, which is mishfat or something similar to that, which means seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. So that's, that's a Hebrew definition of what justice looks like. And then taking it further in Scripture, in Proverbs 31 and Jeremiah 22, we draw out this definition that justice is advocating for the vulnerable and making steps to change social and political structures in order to prevent injustice for others. These are strong definitions, aren't they? And they help us kind of get our heads into what is justice from God's perspective. So to see justice demands that individuals and communities pursue radical and selfless ways of living. It goes beyond our personal discipleship. It has a communal and a community-based outworking. So this theme of justice, it flows through the whole of Scripture. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pick up on that whole flow. And Father God, we find, is active and engaged through the story of human history to lead us back into right relationship with himself and with one another so that we might express heaven's justice on earth. So we're going to explore from the beginning today. We're going to start in Genesis. And we're going to look at how justice is expressed from Genesis through the Old Testament And we're going to have a specific look at the nature and character of God and how that is expressed in a collection of books in the Bible known as the Law and the Prophets. Can everybody say the Law and the Prophets? Brilliant. I just like audience participation. That's no real deep meaning to that, but thank you. So we're going to discover that God's compassionate grace and his justice is the same through the ages. His priorities have not changed. Let's notice who God 
is and what God is concerned with, which actually is often at odds with what most of mankind uh, has on their agenda. And so today, just as we go into this, I just want to challenge you, challenge me. We need to respond to God's heart. We want to let Scripture be that mirror that our own lives and attitudes is, is put up against and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to transform our thinking, to change any hardness in our hearts um, that they might instead be filled with compassion that moves us to act justly. So that's the challenge. So as we read these scriptures, as we go through this story, that's the framing of it. God, what's going on in my heart? Great. So we're just going to have a little, some definitions. Now we've said the law and the prophets and the law can be defined as the Torah or it's the name given to the first five books in the Bible in the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And through these books, uh, and there are some 600 odd laws that detail the way that God wants his people to live. And the books are not simply a list of commands, but a story of how we're created as people who can love God and love others. And the laws really are an expression of God's ideals, his wisdom, and his intentions for us. The law upholds God's priorities. And the law helped the nation of Israel to live distinctively differently to the nations around them. They were called to partner with God and represent him so that people might see them as a living example of God's justice at work. So, and whilst there's, there's a variety of issues that are covered by the law, some of them uh, seem really sensible, some of them quite bizarre, um, but they actually can be grouped into sort of four main areas. I think we've got a slide that just illustrates that. Um, but they are these. Firstly, holiness. Oh, no, actually, could you flip on to the, um, the next one? I think we've got the slide. Uh, hang on. We've got those. Keep going. One more. Okay, yeah, let's go. And we'll have to flip back in a minute. I've got the order wrong. Never mind. But holiness. So holiness, um, these are kind of the ritual laws, the laws that seem quite weird and strange, um, but they're actually uh, to do with demonstrating that God's people are to be different. They're set apart. So they've got the wonderful laws of circumcision, uh, Sabbath, and strange food laws. Um, they've got things that for us just seem strange. But at the time, they had a purpose to communicate a difference to the people around them. And that was also to communicate to the Israelites, you are different. I've called you to be different, to be distinctive. Then we have laws around sacrifice, an awful lot of sacrifice in the Old Testament, if you've read it. And these gave people an understanding of the consequence of sin, that there was a need for sacrifice to atone for sins. And uh, the symbol used there was animal blood. And that was a foretaste of Jesus' once and all for all blood sacrifice on the cross. So that the echo from the Old Testament into the New is throughout all of this. And then there were sacred times. I love these, the festivals and the seasons. A few good ones. There's the festival of the booths. I quite like that one. It's a bit like going on wildfires and staying in a tent, basically. Um, and there's festivals and seasons and rituals that remember and celebrate God's faithfulness, remembering what he's done. And they're pointing people as well towards their purpose, that they are called cool, and their future, which is they're called cool to partner with God and see his goodness and love outworked in community and relationship. And then finally, justice, what we're talking about specifically today. 
These are the laws that upheld fairness. They're about preferring and protecting the vulnerable. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat in the laws. And um, you might say, well, this is really complicated. And, and the Israelites found it really complicated and got themselves quite tangled up in the whole law area. Um, but this is so helpful. We want to summarize the law. What, what, what are they all about? What is the defining principle? And it's this. And Jesus said it in Matthew 22. He was responding to that very question for some local Jewish leaders. And they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? This is Matthew 22, verse 36. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love that. So 600 odd laws, and we condense it down to two statements. Love God, love each other. And I find that very helpful to remember. That is the motivation. That's the heart behind it. Jesus is saying that we, when we love God and love others, we represent the purpose of the law. And the law is a means to outworking these core heavenly values and, values and principles for the Israelites. So we're going to revisit Jesus' words later and his fulfillment of the law and the prophets in the coming weeks. So I can't dump into all that now, but that's really exciting because that helps show us how the narrative of the Bible all connects into Jesus. But I wanted to um, just look at how these um, purposes and priorities don't suddenly switch um, from Old Testament to New Testament. The opposite is true, that um, everything that happens in the old is transferred into the new. Jesus came to fulfill it all. He sees himself as a continuation of that story. So, as I said, these first five books are not just a list of rules, but they're a story of God's people. And it starts in Genesis, um, in creation. When ma then we've got man's rebellion and, and the fall from God's presence, all happening by chapter 3. Um, and through the fall, there's three key things that come into the world. And this is important to understand because it plays into why is there injustice. Firstly, man makes his own decisions on what is right and wrong rather than in relationship to God. He puts himself in the place of God and says, I'm right and I'm going to choose what's right and wrong, not God. Secondly, generational sins are revealed. So as the mistakes of each generation are, are repeated and often amplified by the next, something that we need to continue to remember for each generation, they need to find and turn to God for themselves. And each generation is responsible for their own choices to break the cycle of the generations before them. And, um, and that is possible through Jesus. And thirdly, the impact of the fall was a shift from abundance to scarcity. You know, the freely available, generous provision and protection that it, we find in the, in the Garden of Eden is replaced instead by toil, the need to eat, to live and survive. So a new way of thinking dominates humanity. It's now a matter of competing for resource in order to get on in life rather than share and be generous and community orientated. So these new cultural norms justify oppression and exploitation of the other. The pursuit of power over one another is our means for security and safety. So it's all gone wrong. 
Yet, this is where we start to see one of God's, the part one of God's rescue plan begin. There's a man called Abraham, and God makes a covenant with him to give him children and bless him so that he might be a blessing to the nations. There's a phrase, blessed to be a blessing. If you've ever done the Kairos course, you'll remember that by the end of it. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that was the Abrahamic covenant that God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, so that you might be a blessing to others. God's original intention was always to center on all peoples to know him. And through Abraham, the, the nations might know that God is good and gracious. So a good plan. Great idea, God. Make an example community that others can see and follow and get alongside. But soon after it's instigated, it starts to falter as Abraham's offspring, Jacob and sons, find themselves escaping where they lived in the desert and the starvation that was coming to them and seeking food and security in a little place called Egypt. And uh, they move there and uh, under amazing, miraculous stories and, and provision, uh, their brother Joseph, who'd been thrown there, um, left for dead before, he actually comes to power and under his protection uh, and favor, they settle in that land and they grow in numbers and wealth. And, the, and, and two generations of, of pharaohs later, um, unfortunately, the history and favor of the past years gets forgotten. And the Hebrews move from being a blessed people in that land to being slaves. Pharaoh's rule and treatment of the Hebrews embodies oppression, exploitation, and cruelty. Abundant, priv abundant provision for the ruling elite and poverty for the rest. It's the spirit of scarcity at work. You see, Pharaoh's empire operated on institutional prejudice against the Hebrews, making them live separate from them. And the Hebrews, uh, and if you read through um, the book of Exodus, there's a narrative that starts to come out, and it's, it's the making of the other. There's fear-mongering, and there's false narratives. There's words such as, they're getting too many for us. What if they overtake us? These are the lies and the words that Pharaoh and his people speak over the Hebrews. Well, the oppression is real, the slavery is brutal, but God hears the cry of the Hebrew nation. And he raises up a man, Moses, and he comes and makes that famous declaration to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Pharaoh's obsession with power and control prevents him uh, from ever giving in ultimately sacrificing his people's health and wealth and even their children on the altar of ego. But God has worked justice for the Hebrews. He brings them out of slavery into freedom and gives them a hope and a promise of a new land for them. He cares for them, he provides for them, and he leads them in the desert, teaching them that he is good that he will provide for them through manna. They don't have to store and kind of act out of scarcity. God's re-envisioning them and giving them a new imagination of what it means to be a nation. And then God is, is declaring over them that he is not a slave driver. He is a good God. He's the liberator. On Mount Sinai, God makes a promise, a covenant with Moses and the people. It's a contract, kind of, as it were. Something that could be thought of as like a new agreement or constitution with the people. And this fledging nation of Israel 
was being invited by God to live radically differently to the nations around them, to partner with God as a nation for justice and generosity. So as God was creating this new way to live that was different to Pharaoh's injustice and slavery, he gives them these 10 commandments. And um, these outline for them how to live justly, how to honor one another, love one another, and establish principles um, for how to do life. So here we are, the laws that have been set, um, that have set Israel apart from the other nations are the ones I mentioned, the rituals and the customs that help establish our own identity, model something different, and remind them they've got a special purpose. So we, we've gone through some of those. So uh, there's a, a statement just here from a book that we'll touch on a couple of times today, but it's called Embracing Justice. It says, the laws, though not perfect, were part of a framework of covenant based on God's compassion and grace. It's a rich interweaving mutual um, human obligation with shared faith and relationship with God. So this pattern that emerges through the Old Testament is one of God, uh, God's people struggling and stumbling between living in that partnership with God and a rebellion against him. So if we could just flip back to that picture of the law, um, that first one. Yeah, we can see here a little image. Uh, we've started there with the pyramids coming out of Egypt and then the Ten Commandments. And then we've got this cycle you can see there that actually what happened is a cycle of God giving laws and then the Israelites breaking them. God giving some more laws and the Israelites rebelling against them. God giving some more laws and the Israelites doing again, turning their back on him. So all through these books, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, we see this cycle. God continues to communicate his wisdom and build relationship and they often get it wrong. And, and at the time, you often think, is this just God's people that, that lived like this? Well, no, there were laws and rules in the other nations around them. Um, they had their own laws as well. But one distinctive thing to just draw out here is that God's laws were written with an explanation as to why they were needed. And I've got a slide with some examples. Um, the Exodus, um, if you just flick through, John, a couple of slides. Keep going, keep going. Yes, here we go, uh, motivations of the law. So if we look at these, there's some really interesting motivations of the law here. That, and I've just put in bold the reason for the law being given. So if we just skip through these, where the first one, you know, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. It's helping them remember their history and the purpose for the law. And then there's a whole thing here about taking your neighbor's cloak for security, return it to him before sunset. Um, how can a person sleep without it? So God's practical laws remind people for the purpose of them, and they're about honoring and loving people. And actually, the, the interesting thing is that the, the, the other societies around Israel, they um, had about 5% of their laws um, had explanations included in the written law. But in the Old Testament, 50% of the Israelite laws had an explanation or a motivate for the motivation of them. And God wanted to inspire a new way of thinking with his law. It's connected to values and memory, a means of loving God and loving other people. 
And you can think about that even in the UK when we talk about laws that are made. Often laws come out of tragedy or some injustice, but often the law then is isolated as we go through in time. We don't remember the reason for that law coming in. I wonder how we might engage with law a little bit more if we understood the motivation for it and the purpose of it originally. So another key part of the law is the focus of the law. Who did God really want to look after with the law? So if we just flip to the slide with the priorities of the law, and we just go through those briefly, and then we're going to just look at some scriptures that illustrate that. Um, Because God wanted to look out for the poor, for the foreigner, for the widow, and for the orphan. That's beautifully summarized in uh, Zechariah 7 verse 10. So um, we're going to just draw some of that out as we look further on into the prophets. So if we just go back to the book of the, the slide with it, it just says the prophets on it with the, the four or five different names of the prophets. That's brilliant. So we've done a look at the law, but then came the prophets. And the prophets describe 15 books in the Old Testament, and they can be split into sort of two groups. There's the three major prophets, which is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then um, There's the minor prophets, and they're so-called major and minor, not because they're more or less important, just basically the length of the book, which I used to get wrong. I just thought, well, God basically likes the big guys, and the little guys are less important. God's heart is expressed explicitly through all of those books, just to clarify. Help me anyway in my learning. So we've got these 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Amimos, Abadiah, Jonah, Micah, Naaman, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Micah. And um, there's some absolute gold as we read through the prophets and understand their heart. You see, each of them spoke to the people through the ages, the rulers, the leaders, to remind them of God's law, to be the advocates for the vulnerable and the marginalized voices. And they were insistent on heaven's standards and justice being upheld. They called people back to God's priorities, repeatedly warning people of the consequences of rebelling or forgetting God's laws, but also prophetically speaking a future hope of God's justice and rescue, often to lost and discouraged and broken people. And um, if you ever think uh, that the, the, the prophetic voice is, is in the past and no longer needed, doesn't that just resonate? We are often a lost, discouraged, and broken people. We need the prophetic to speak here and now into our lives. But time and again, these four people groups, the widows, the fatherless, the foreign, and the poor, are advocated for through scriptures. I've just got a slide of a load of Old Testament scriptures, which um, you can have a look at later, but I'm just going to just skip through some of these. So here in Amos 5:24, it says, but let justice Roll like a river, righteousness like never-ending, never-failing stream. And this one in Micah um, 6, which says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? You may recognize that one. I love this in Psalm 146. It says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. He frustrates the way of the wicked. This is strong and it just declares all that God is about. 
So do, do take time to read through some of these. Isaiah 58, Jeremiah 22, Proverbs 31, Ezekiel 18. They all speak, and there's many, many more. These are just some of the, some of the real nuggets in there. We are seeing God's priorities loud and clear for justice, to protect the vulnerable, and teaching us to love well. And I just, um, there's so much in this, the story of God's uh, justice with his people. But um, the problem the Israelites had, and it's the problem that you and I have, is as Tim Mackey says in the Bible Project, we have a default setting in our hearts that is opposed to God's law. We are naturally in rebellion against him. And we are naturally not wanting to partner with God's righteousness. And that's why Jesus needed to come to give us new hearts. The Bible talks about us exchanging a heart of stone for a heart of flesh in Ezekiel 11 and 36. And and we're going to come in and and sort of land here because there's a big narrative here, but there's a personal response as well. And if we just put up the slide with the hearts on, John, that would be great. So we start with a heart of stone. But God wants to give us a heart of flesh, one that beats with his compassion, one that um, resonates with his justice. We need inner transformation as individuals and then as a community so that we can live out and be partnering with God's justice to the, the widow, the orphan, the alien, and the vulnerable. When we receive Jesus in our hearts, we repent and believe Repent means to do a 180 degree turn, walk away from actions and behaviors and thoughts that break his commands. We choose instead to live and walk in relationship with him and with his Holy Spirit in us. You know, our hearts and our minds, they are transformed to live out God's priorities. God is a, is a God of justice. His heart is justice. He's expressed it through all time, from Genesis right through to Revelation, and now into our time. He started with the Israelites. He blessed them to be a blessing in the world. And we're still living in that same flow. We are blessed. But we must tackle the societal strongholds that prevent the flow of blessing and justice from reaching the vulnerable.